Welcome to the Seahawkers Podcast, your Seattle Seahawks podcast by 12s for 12s with your hosts, Adam Emmert. Now's not the time to be putting on 12 to 15 pounds and having to take it back off. Just a joke. I promise you one thing. You're getting out work, son. And Brandon Schultz. You don't need to put the word A in front of those players' names. You can just say their name. Go Hawks! Seahawkers podcast, your Seattle Seahawks podcast by 12s, 412s. I'm Brandon Schultz, and across the table from me, he wrote a 16-page paper on Russell Wilson just this past week and and forwarded it to, uh, well, just me. Uh, but I appreciate yeah. that, Adam. My well, co-host, Adam Emmert. I wanted you to know my position on Russell Wilson. I, I believe I now know that... Because uh, all it was was 16 pages of hearts just drawn on. Hearts dr- dr- and, yeah, drawn yeah, on. Yeah. I, I heart Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, there was a, a photocopied... Uh, I don't know if you sat on the copier. Uh, that's kind of what it looks like to me. But maybe... I guess it is kind of heart-shaped. That was my face. Oh, oh Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I uh, I guess I know. It's about as hairy as that. the other side. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, um, yes, uh, interesting. I can see 16, how you get it confused. <laughs> interesting 16-page paper there, Adam. So yeah. uh, I, I, I don't know why uh, with Mark Rogers writing uh, his paper for Russell Wilson, you felt like... I don't want do Mark Rogers to appear that he loves Russell more than I do. I, I, I This believe, is important. I believe that's fair. So this is the Seahawkers podcast, and as you could tell, it's off-season. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're talking about off-season stuff, Adam. Uh, yeah, like uh, agents writing weird papers to uh, the GM in John Schneider. Yeah, but the important thing today, the top news of the day, Adam, mm-hmm. the Seahawks have signed their quarterback. That's right. Finally, Here's, right? Like exactly. all this consternation, all we've this been, hand-wringing. We've been worrying about the quarterback situation in Seattle. You know, would Russell get signed? When is he going to do it? Is it going to be next, next offseason? But the Seahawks, they have a quarterback from last season. Tavares Jackson. Yeah, there you go. Welcome back. Welcome back, T-Jack. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited for T-Jack being back. You know, great backup. We've talked you, about you him. Didn't, you weren't sold that uh, R.J. Archer would be the... Instead of R.J. Hoosier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like it, no. I, Seeing uh, B.J. Daniels run routes and uh, as a that seems like the receiver. other half of the the passing game play that a quarterback needs to do. Like it's the wrong half, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Like I think they ought to be on the throwing end. Yeah, well, what, I think the clues to me was seeing uh, B.J. Daniels in a blue jersey, uh, practice jersey instead of a red one mm. uh, that you typically see the quarterback. Yeah, in. so that was kind of a little bit confusing. You me. can hit him now. Uh, yeah, B.J. Daniels. he's, yeah. he's gonna. But T Jack back, which is good. I I, I wondered if uh, John Clayton leaking a little uh, article about uh, Mike Vick being a great spot for hit, or Mike Vick being a, a great fit for the Seahawks and a great spot for him to land. If that maybe uh, made T Jack think uh, maybe I had a sign on the dotted the line. The timing here. was curious to me uh, in hindsight because at the time, uh, just a couple days ago, you started hearing the idea of oh well, uh, yeah, Michael Vick could be a good fit as a as a backup in Seattle, which mm-hmm. I think is a terrible idea if you if you saw how he uh, came in very unprepared uh, as backup under Rex Jets. Ryan. Are you surprised in any way, shape, or well, form? Maybe maybe that shouldn't be when a Mike surprise. Vick. 
when Mike Vick has actually invested himself, he's a fine player. He's, he's a fine backup. He's one of the best backups in the league. Sure. I take Mike Vick. Yeah, I, I guess I like a backup quarterback who prepares to play uh, whether or not he thinks he wouldn't, he's going to get He out. wouldn't be allowed to not prepare Yeah, if he was a Seattle Seahawks. Well, I would hope not. Rex Ryan's a totally different ball game, man. Like, yeah, of course he, of course he wasn't doing anything. But yes, the timing was curious because you, you start to see that news get out. People start to talk about it a little bit. That was a John to John hey. hookup. I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure one John calls his homie John. You think it was Schneider, uh, uh, the GM calling Schneider the the er, professor? Er, er, yeah, John the Clayton. Yeah, yeah John no, the Clayton, not it, uh, not not Schneider. No, there's uh, not yeah. two Schneiders. There's, there's Schneider two and Schneiders, the Clayton. There's two Johns. There's two Johns. I see. I, I always that's get the John to John connection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's because of the same letters. Uh, that's how you can tell that it's the same word. But uh, they, I, I wonder if, if, if Schneider is kind of like, all right, hook a homie up here. I'll give you things now and then. But here's something, you know, leak this, put a little pressure on T-Jack, hook a John up. If, if I heard that rumor come out, I I would, I, I, I could see myself believing that. I don't know. I, just put on your tinfoil hat if you want. I, I don't even know if you need a tinfoil hat to go that far, Adam. Okay. All right. So, um, are we done talking? Off well, I, I think yeah, what, what we I, need to, I think what we need to clue everybody in on is uh, the, the big thing about this episode is going to be a great interview with, uh, Michael fellow from Hanshier, Rams, yeah, Addiction. The Rams Addiction yep. podcast and uh great conversation with him. A really nice guy. Uh, maybe not as excited about the Rams as I am. You, you came across a little overly excited. Uh, not overly. Unexpected. I look, I, 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 I would, I would argue it was overly excited. Heck no. Look, there's one thing I'm not going to be. And that's just a hater for haters like if i look at your team and i say look you're sure you're a rival but i can i see some bright positives here i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest about that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna contain uh some enthusiasm and positivity over the uh leaps and bounds a team can make just by judging from their offseason moves like i'm not gonna sit there and be like and poo poo something that i think is actually a, a big a big upgrade for them well, and I would say that the Rams team, of all the teams in the NFC West, they really have shown the most improvement uh, over the personnel that they've obtained just in this offseason. So, sure, I, they got a quarterback that'll play. They got a quarterback who'll play. They got the the number one drafted running back, and mm-hmm. and so they have. Where in the past they hadn't had the, that ability to score points. Now they it still might be difficult considering a very young offensive line. They they did draft uh, several players along the offensive line, but. You know, how that's going to turn out, we'll still have to see. You know, the receiving game still, it's been mm-hmm. tough for them, but a lot of that's been because of their quarterback play and their offensive line play. So, sure. um, but, but Mike had a lot of great perspectives on the whole thing. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we'll see next, next time when we have the, the 49ers, you know, the better rivals podcast guys on. If you're, if you're overly excited about the Niners, then we'll know, Adam. I said just, I won't you're be. You're just courting favor to the guests if, uh, if you're excited about the, the 49ers this year. You know, that's what I'm getting at. Like, basically, I said I wouldn't hide my enthusiasm if I thought a team was growing with their offseason moves and like we're progressing in a positive direction. Look, I'm not going to hide my ire for a team that's basically blown the whole thing up and looks like a dumpster fire. Uh-huh. Like, I look, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, better rivals, guys. I'm sorry, man, but I don't know. I don't know what you got going on there. Best of luck. Yeah, well, I judging by their Twitter feed, they're they're a little bit concerned themselves. They so ought to be. I, I, I am interested to hear from them here in a couple of weeks to yeah. to see how they're uh, just how they're doing. Mm hmm. Because, yeah, the 49ers fans have had kind of a rough go uh, ever since the NFC Championship. Uh, had another dude uh, retire just this week in Anthony Davis. Yeah, the, the, the offensive your, lineman. Yeah, a, a 
solid player, former first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you see their safety uh, come out, uh, their draft first round draft pick from two years ago, Eric Reed, say he's already considered retiring. Yeah, uh, due to concussions. It makes me wonder if they're if the Forty ers are, or if it's if it's something to do with their culture, or if they're just really good at educating their players. Trent Bulky is that issues. big of a headache. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, Justin Smith didn't even want to play for him. Yeah. That's, That's a bad. dude that could pop up somewhere else. I'm, just, I'm not I, saying I'm just know. saying. I, I, I think he's done. He wasn't done. Usually, yeah. The way he played last year, he wasn't done. So uh, the other big news, uh, we have some negotiations going on with Bobby Wagner. True fact. True fact. Uh, that's a positive sign, obviously. The leader of the linebacking core, one of the top young guys on this defense. Uh, you know, Probably the second best linebacker in the league. And it, boy, it, you could even argue first best when you put him up against Keekly. I mean, they're they're both pretty close there. But, you, you know, know, one interesting thing that, that does bring up to me. So I've, I've been listening to some of the other NFL podcasts here this mm-hmm. uh, these last few weeks. And uh, Daniel Jeremiah, Move the Sticks podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, while uh, you you hear um, just, uh, I think it was just last week that Damashek brought up the, the idea of triplets and, you know, the Seahawks were up there and in, in the mm-hmm. it, really there were three teams that were in everybody's top three for triplets you know when you look at the quarterback a, a receiver and a running back okay and so currently currently okay yeah. so you had russell wilson marshawn lynch and jimmy graham as the as the seahawks triplets they're triumphant and then okay. you know you have uh pittsburgh was the other one on the top three with antonio brown bell and yep, roethlisberger yep. okay and uh aaron Rodgers, Eddie lacy and uh jordy, jordy nelson, nelson. So okay. those were kind of the consensus top three. And, I'll and, tell you there. Sure. Uh, you know, different people had them switched around. Damashek, of course, being a Steelers homer, had the, the Steelers as his number one. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, But uh, Bucky Brooks, he actually had the Seahawks as, as his number one. So Interesting. There you go. Okay. Uh, but uh, Daniel Jeremiah, so he kind of flipped it on uh, onto the defensive side and had uh, people pick a defensive lineman, uh, a linebacker, and a defensive back mm-hmm. for for their three and and really the consensus I think the guys that got more votes than anybody because what he does is he ma- emails executives from different teams mm-hmm. or, or yeah. uh, you know personnel guys and says you know give me who your guys are yeah JJ uh, Watt on the defensive line done uh, Luke Keekley was kind of the consensus okay um, or uh, I think C J Mosley was the other guy that got a couple another of votes. fine player okay and uh, Earl Thomas on the back end so yeah and then if it wasn't Earl Thomas it was um, uh, your other uh, corner, Darrell Rivas. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's fine. Look, Sherman I, I got a vote too. Yeah. Um, it, there's a lot of people that like to take shots at Sherman. You know, uh, we've seen it even again just this last week. And it was which which three players would you want to start your defense with? And so, right. So Earl's a, a definitely a more of a cornerstone piece, I think. Uh, really, he's one of those guys that I mean just changes everything you do up in up in front of you. Sure, you know you, you just free up your. It other was safety. interesting to hear though that that Earl did get more votes than Sherman. I think I think Earl has mad respect in this league. Oh yeah, I, I really do. I I think he is considered the best free safety hands down. There's no argument. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to hear dudes like Cromartie popping off about that. No, 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 <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. No. So um, yeah, just so just... Wagner. Finally, getting in uh, contract discussions. Do you think that's uh, the Hawks like looking at Russ and being like, "Hey, we're going to start paying guys now, so like we'll pay B Wags and dude, like the pie's getting smaller." Well, and when you hear Russell Wilson's agent say there really is no deadline, this is maybe a way of the Seahawks saying, "Well, uh, if you want to get in before we finalize this deal, uh, there's only so much money that's going to be left after mm-hmm. after we get B Wags deal done." So, uh, not not like they're not going to have room for Russell Wilson's contract, right. but uh, just the idea of of 
possibly getting in first before that deal is done. I, I That would be the only motivation I could see for trying to get it done before Russell Wilson. Right. It felt like they were going to try to get Russ done and then do Bobby. Yeah. Just because then you'd know what you're paying Russ and like what your your actual you know parameters are. Now, one, one way make- to look at it is, is to say... Hey, well, if they're willing to start negotiations with BWAGs now, maybe they are that close in the Russell negotiation now where they know we're going to be in this area. Yeah. So we've got this room to play with with Bobby. And so now we know because you heard John Clayton come out and say, look, he he expects it to be done by mid-July or maybe even late July, but being that four very specific numbers he was throwing around. That's what I was going to say. Four year, 22 million. And it all makes sense. Well, it yeah, all because, makes sense. Because you have the Cam Newton deal. You have the Ben Roethlisberger deal. Yeah. And you kind of know that, yeah, he, Russell Wilson's going to get probably more guaranteed money than Cam Newton did. And, and he should. going to get less, you know, overall if money. If you read my report, you would know why. I Hey, I... My I butt read... cheeks on the photocopier <laughs> proves <laughs> Russell Wilson gets more money and, guaranteed and the than Cam. the around the number three. Yep, I, exactly. I, no, it was... It, the subtext was very clear, Adam. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I just wanted to try. It took me sixteen pages. You know? I, hey, you know sometimes that's that's all you need. Yeah, but that makes me wonder that maybe maybe they are tighter on numbers now because they have been talking for a while. Sure. Like they they know where they're going to end up. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody understands it's going to be around twenty to twenty four million, sure. just somewhere in there. Yeah, like just do it. <laughs> Enough already. Make it happen. Just stop like- sending love letters to John. Yeah. 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 Mr. Rogers. Like John Malkovich says, you know, give the man his money. Yeah, exactly. That's keep right. get, yeah, keep getting them checks. But uh-huh. uh, uh, in other news, let's see, what was it? Oh, Kerry Williams on the radio today with uh, Brock and Sulk had an interesting interview, 710 ESPN Seattle. Yeah, I, I would say that's an interesting one to check out specifically for Kerry Williams' thoughts on Chip Kelly, uh, particularly. Not a lot uh, of love there still. It, it doesn't seem like he was all that impressed with the type of culture that Chip Kelly was developing uh, in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It, it sounded like he thought Chip wore guys out. Yeah. And, yeah. and that whole idea that you'd have more conditioning was something that was backfiring on him because uh-huh. one of the things he pointed to when the Hawks played the Eagles this year was... They got run over. They got Well, they got run over. And he said because you know, one of the reasons was they were fresher. Yeah. And uh, you do see Pete take care of guys in that manner. And the other thing was, is, you know, Kerry's like, well, you know, we also got, you know, totally outcoached and, uh, you know, outschemed and, and everything. So, and you really had to listen to the interview, too, to, to pull those things from because I, I know when he started I out a little dry. the first time, it, well, and he's just kind of a quiet guy, too. Yeah. And it'll probably a guy who hasn't. Uh, developed much of a rapport yet with Seattle media, so no. just kind of quiet and uh, and you know kind of. But a guy's cl- been around a, a little bit cliche, I think, through the for the first couple minutes, and so I had I had tuned out a little bit. He sounded like a veteran. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and, and then when he started, you know, dropping the those little nuggets about uh, about Chip Chip. and Philly, then it, it, things started to perk up a little bit, and I had to rewind a little bit to to really uh, understand what he was trying to pull say. no yeah. punches, Kerry. Jeez, but uh, made you realize that he's a good fit personality wise with this team i I think uh one of the things he noticed was the philosophy when he won a chip in baltimore uh is very similar to what it is with Pete carroll and i think that's one of the things that he appreciates as far as their togetherness the way that it is a family atmosphere that was one of the first things he really started to gush about was just the brotherhood that family feel and uh you know i talked about it a little on the last pod how it seems like that's being emphasized more earlier this year considering it took half a season for him to kind of find that connection sure. last year it seemed sure. like and that's when they really started to click i think there is an added emphasis among the team members to try to have that brotherhood feeling going into 
the season this time. And you hear Kerry talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, well, and you've heard Jimmy Graham talk about it too. Mm-hmm. And so it, it and these are the new guys, the theme. new additions, exactly. So I, you kind of have to wonder though too when you have. Uh, the, what happened to them in the Super Bowl? If that does, it, it it's seeming like because two things could happen: it could pull the, it could tear the team apart, yes. or it could pull the team together. And I yeah. think we are seeing uh, that happen. You're seeing guys come together over it, which is obviously the preferred alternative, of course. Well, there's really, I mean, you say there's one of two ways you go. There's only one way you can go, and that's to pull together and get it done. Yeah. Like, really, I mean, if that's your mentality, I mean, if you have a championship mentality, which they, they do, I mean, these are championship players. With all the, I'm a competitive guy, like I am. Like I mean, whether it comes to you know winning the Missoula Curling Championship or you know whatever, you know yeah. just whatever I'm doing Playing in my beers free time be in the backyard. Yeah, I'm being a champion at that too. But uh, yeah, the, but the idea is is that when I go out there, I'm gonna I'm gonna win and I'm gonna do everything that it takes. You know, even if I've had a crushing defeat before or whatever. So like the idea that these guys would come out and be like, ah, well, screw this anyways. Like a piece, I'm getting my money and I'm out. No, that's not how any of these dudes are wired. Like, no, no. So yeah, it's it's not a surprise, but it's good to see that you know they're kind of banding together early and uh salk was talking a little bit about the last practice that he had watched and how the ferocity of the practice was just off the charts he's like i don't know man like the the speed right yeah the speed and just the intensity and uh jimmy graham apparently spiking balls on top of people (laughs) (laughs) carrie williams talks a little bit about that like uh, apparently when jimmy graham catches a pass he he has to spike the ball no matter no matter what but like onto a person like not around them like Uh, spike the ball onto them (laughs) is that what it was that's what he was doing now he can't be doing that in games that'll that'll draw a flag every time a lot like a goalpost but uh but in practice hey i i I have a feeling, Adam, we will see a goalpost dunk from Jimmy Graham. Uh, it's going to happen. Coach Carroll's going to say, you know what? No, he's you not. Go, he's go, not going to say. He's go not going to say. That. He's not going to say, go ahead. He's going to be kind of one of those. But when it know, happens, he's going to be like, yeah, yeah just, um, you know, disappointed in you. No, not even disappointed. No, it's I bet, be but kind say, of one of those unspoken wink, things wink. like, wink, wink, yeah. Disappointed in you, wink, wink. Don't do it again, wink, wink. <laughs> right. It'll be a game check, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he, you know he could start getting game checks for doing that oh i know because they, they did change the rules specifically for him right exactly i always wondered why adam they didn't just raise the goalposts up you know you talk that about, changes the game well you talk about making field goals uh, goals a little bit diff, di- more difficult sure. uh, extra points a little more difficult it raised it raised the bar up just you know a couple feet because yeah. then you can't dunk on it yeah and, you I know guess. it's just a couple feet i guess or, but then you're changing the whole game around for one player the whole game you know what's a couple you're changing a third around? of the game then around for one player no. Oh, for one player special teams is a third of the game well yeah but it's I'm that's talking... the real live math there i i don't buy it yeah 33 percent yeah 33.3 percent yeah you you're not one to break out math on this so. i know and so when you know what i do i'm a little bit like, confused by this yeah exactly a little bit you know confused. that it's awesome but uh let's see what else was there to talk about james jones we looked at james jones a month ago there's your big headline for the day uh, you and i looked at james jones uh, yeah at the same time Oh. No, uh, apparently John Schneider this. did. I don't know. Uh-huh. Hooray. He's a receiver, right? Yeah, still. Or, uh, what, did Nobody. He play for the Raiders? He played for the Raiders last year. He's leading yeah. receiver, 72 receptions. Yeah, there you and, go. That's all you need to know about that. Something like that, yeah. Moving on. That's how slow it is, man. 
It's not slow. Hey, did we talk about uh, Richard Sherman and Antonio Camardi? Those two going at it? I know Richard yeah. Sherman had some things to say about Antonio Camardi in, uh, sure. in, in his uh, interview today. Yeah. Now the, you know, the media availability with the Seahawks. Yeah. He said, uh, you don't see left tackles moving over to right tackle to... Because uh, so Antonio Cromartie, if you missed it last week, because you're not following football, and that's good for you because yeah. you have things to do in a the life and stuff, and you know yeah. you can get all you need to know from us in this in right. this off season podcast. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but Antonio Cromartie came out and said that he didn't think Richard Sherman was the number one guy. Oh no! Oh my stars! I know. This is a, this has become such a boring topic to I me. I think last year he had something different to say. So I you know whether or not it's because he has Darrell Rivas as a teammate now. I uh, that's that exactly what factor. it is. It's this dumb politics stuff. Like who gives a crap? Like what what does it does it matter? Like I I, I don't understand. And if like, you're the number two corner on your own team, why who, why are you busting on a guy that you you don't think is number one? Why why do you feel the need to do that if you're not even the best I, corner on your own team? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I just I don't get it. And now you know how you know Richard Sherman's the best corner now. He's the one never talking about it. No, he he, other, he used other to instigate. People are doing it for him. He now. used to instigate all this garbage. Now it's coming at him, you know, the other way around. If and Richard that's how you know Sherman you're the top dog. Went to New Orleans and interviewed people on the street like he did on Bleacher Report yeah. that that year. People would recognize him now. Adam. Be a little different. People would recognize. Be him. Be a little different. Yeah. So you you got to thank Crabtree for that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, we we thank uh, Michael Crabtree very often, mm-hmm. and, and also. Yeah. Uh, Colin Kaepernick for throwing it just a little bit short. Exactly, exactly. Things um, would be mighty different in Seattle. It would be. If not for that tip. It, it would be. And uh, worse different, not, not better different. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. It would probably be worse. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I think that kind of covers the little bit that we have. We, we have kind of an extensive conversation with Mike. Uh, and yeah, so we I do. Think... It's, a, it's a long conversation with, with Mike Hanch here, and uh, it's a good one, too. So you will be all caught up on your Rams news. Mm-hmm. Here from the Seahawkers podcast. So yeah, uh, get out your Rams rules. Uh, make sure. <laughs> oh, we forgot to bust on them. I could do it. I could do it. That's too that's, much of a That would have been a jerk that move. Been, yeah, it would have been a jerk move. Yeah. Indeed. Now, like if if they had beaten us down the last few years and like they were division champions it and would, all that, we would break those out. It, it, totally. It would be part of the introduction, uh, big time. Yeah. But yeah, slow when, clap it out. Yep. For Michael Hanshaw. <laughs> <laughs> Sack. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just uh, we didn't need to do that. You know, you don't kick. Somebody weathered out. No, no, that's that's yeah, true. Yeah. So uh stay tuned for that. Uh you're gonna enjoy. This week on the show, we welcome on Michael Hanch here. He is the co-host of the Rams Addiction Podcast, and he's here to join us this week to preview one of our NFC West rivals, the St. Louis Rams. How's it going, Mike? It's going really well. I'm glad to be with you guys. Glad you could join us for for the first time. Even we we like to come together with our our NFC West brethren on on our podcast, and and you, my friend, complete the circle of of all of the, uh, the NFC West the opponents, NFC West for, opponents the Hunts, yeah. that we've had. Awesome. for the Hawks that we've had. Awesome. 
Awesome. Good to hear. Yeah. So let's get in and let, let's talk a little bit about how this offseason has gone, because I think out of all the teams out of the NFC West, I, I, I truly think that the Rams have probably improved from from how the, the season ended in 2014 to going into 2015. How do you feel about the Rams? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm lukewarm on the Rams, which is pretty normal for an offseason for the Rams. Uh, the Rams are a dangerous team. I, I definitely could see as a Seahawks fan how you could look at them and say they're maybe the second most talented team in the division now on paper because they definitely have a young group of players who are growing up sort of all at the same time. But I look at the Rams offseason. I think they, they've done some good things. Definitely, I think that the Bradford for Foles trade was one that makes a lot of sense, as you mentioned, not only to get Foles, but to get a second round pick in next year's draft as a part of it as well. I think that was a move that made sense for the Rams. I think it was a move, honestly, they had to make. Um, you know, you can debate whether Foles is truly a better talent than Bradford when they're on the field. But if you look at both guys entering the last year of their contract, really not knowing what the future of your franchise is going to be, I think it makes a lot of sense to take Foles in for one year to be able to evaluate him this season and kind of see what you want to do with that quarterback position moving forward. So, that move made a lot of sense. They've also kind of had some incremental improvements in some other areas. They did bring in a, a guy that I like a lot of defensive tackle and Nick Fairley. They released Kendall Langford early in the season, who was a defensive tackle, kind of rotating last year with Michael Brockers and Aaron Donald. I think Fairley's an upgrade from Kendall Langford. He's a guy that can give a little bit more of a push, a little bit more pass rushing presence on the inside. So I think that was an upgrade. You guys mentioned the offensive line. I don't know if they've upgraded the offensive line. That's still my biggest concern on this team. They did get younger at that position. They let go of some of the the veterans that they had in place a year ago. Scott Wells at center, Davin Joseph at right guard, and then Joe Barksdale at right tackle. They got rid of those. They went you know, largely into the draft and got some young players in the offensive line. So that group has a chance to be better, but that's still the group when you look at the offseason in total. That's the one group at this team, the offensive line, that still scares me. Well, I think when it comes to the NFC West, I, I think while uh, most of the NFC West teams are are really, really good on the defensive line. I think where yep. most of those NFC West teams are deficient is along the offensive line. And so I, I, I feel like you're in uh, company with the, the rest of the West. <laughs> I, I think that's, goes. yeah, I think that's one thing that's really overlooked with the Seahawks the past couple of years. As good as the Seahawks are pretty much across the board on their roster, even two years ago winning the Super Bowl, that was not a good offensive line. I think a lot of people <laughs> overlook that the Seahawks offensive line gives up a ton of pressures and a ton of sacks all the time. Well, you have to be deficient somewhere. I mean, that's true. We have to have one weak spot. <laughs> well, and honestly, too, I mean, I'm sure you view more Seahawks games when they're playing the Rams than almost any other team. And really, sure. your guys' main strength is that amazing defensive line, you know, with Donald and Quinn and all, you know, Long and all those beasts down there. So, really, you make us look stupid. Uh, pretty much every time we play because it is it's our biggest weakness up against your guys' biggest strength and I think that's part of Jeff Fisher's genius is you know coming in and looking at it and being like hey I watched the Giants win a Super Bowl by being you know big time stout on the defensive line and, and, and come in and really make some hay and I feel like they've really done that and you said bring it in fairly I think that's an underrated signing really a lot of people are down on him because of his production in Detroit I, I still think he's a tremendous talent I think he's going to fit in amazingly uh, on your guys' defensive line 
Well, if Jeff Fisher's genius is the defensive line, his kryptonite is scoring points on offense. <laughs> right, right. So there's a, there's a give and take with that for sure. But no, the the top six of the Rams defensive line, I mean, they're, they're starters at end. Chris Long and Robert Quinn, they're two starters inside, which is Brockers and Aaron Donald. And their top two reserves, William Hayes, is a rotating on the defensive end. And then you've got Nick Fairley to come in and rotate a defensive tackle. I would challenge any top six in the NFL on the defensive line to be as good, as talented, and really as young and kind of in their prime as that group. That is a devastating group. And we're really what the Seahawks, you know, Achilles heel has been, has been playing in St. Louis. Because when you get in the dome and you get that defensive line going, it's just a hard group to stop. Well, let's talk about playing in St. Louis, Mike, because I I feel like Jeff Fisher, I want to ask you this because it seems like every time the Seahawks come to St. Louis, Jeff Fisher has like these trick plays. I'm over the trick plays that that are just for the Seahawks. But (laughs) yes, when when you watch them, is, is it just for the Seahawks or does he does he do that stuff every week? Um. Yes and no. I mean, it, it happens more. It happens more often to the Seahawks. Uh-huh. Um, I know that doesn't make you feel any better, but it definitely happens more to the Seahawks. They've they've done special teams things in the past. Um, I, I remember one of the craziest ones they had was was a few years ago when they were playing in San Francisco. They were on their own one yard line, so Johnny Hecker was punting out of the end zone. It was fourth and twelve or something like that, and he actually dropped back and threw to Rodney McLeod, who's one of the gunners, who's a safety, who caught the ball and converted to first down. I mean, literally the punter throwing from his own end zone. <laughs> so they do some some interesting things, but it does seem like they've packaged up a lot of that stuff for the Seahawks. And a part of that is because they know they're not as talented as the Seahawks. And it's going to take some of those kind of things to beat Seattle, even at home. Well, it has worked in the past, so yes. I, mean, I can see why you would continue to do that. <laughs> well, let's move on a little bit to your guys' draft this year, and I'd like to start with their first-round pick in Todd Gurley. This is a guy, like, when when the Rams selected Gurley, it, me personally, and again, you know, this is from the outside looking in, I felt like that was a little bit of a whiff. I, I'm more of a Melvin Gordon guy at that point. It, drafting a guy coming off an injury who's had a history of injuries through college as talented as he is, that makes me a little nervous. How did you feel with that draft pick? You know, initially I was, I wouldn't say I was surprised that they took Gurley because I think Gurley was the most talented player on the board when the Rams chose. It was only surprising in the fact that they just drafted Trey Mason in the third round a year ago. And Mason played really well as a rookie. He was somebody who I thought was probably entrenched as a starter. So when I initially went into thinking about the Rams draft pick, I didn't really put Gurley in that equation. So really, that's the only reason I would even use the word surprise. Uh, But for me, I think what happened with the Rams is that the Rams were going to draft on offense. We've talked about the defensive line. You know that the defense has got a lot of young, really good players who are entrenched in their position, not just on the defensive line, but the linebacker level from Alec Ogletree to the safeties with TJ McDonald. They've got a lot of established, young, good players on defense, and they have to score more points. So you knew they're going to go offense, most likely with that 10th pick. What they found is Obviously, the top two quarterbacks are off the board. They go one and two. So even if those were in consideration, those guys are off the board early. There's two wide receivers that go in the top 10, both Amari Cooper and Kevin White. Both of those guys would have obviously been in consideration for a team that needs to score and has a need at wide receiver. And then there was offensive linemen, two guys that they really targeted possibly for the right tackle spot was Brandon Scherf, who went fifth overall to Washington. And then the ninth pick, which was just before the Rams, was Eric Flowers, the right tackle, goes to the Giants. 
So all of those positions of need on offense were all sapped up in the top 10 picks. So when you looked at where the Rams were on the board, their other options really at that point would have been Andrus Pete, who is the right tackle or left tackle out of Stanford, who went 13, I think it was, to New Orleans, and the wide receiver Devontae Parker from Louisville. Those were the other options maybe on offense at that point. And Gurley, while I understand the concern coming off the torn ACL and being healthy, and you're going to have to wait for him most likely um, going into the regular season, he is a, a guy with the kind of talent and upside that really nobody else at that point of the draft I felt like was even in his category when you look at what he could be as a pro. So it made a lot more sense when you looked at who was off the board, who was available at a position that the Rams truly needed, and then the talent level of Gurley. And so I'll kind of flip it back on you. If you remove the injury, what do you like about Melvin Gordon as a player more than Todd Gurley? Well, I guess that's the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to take apart, remove the injury part. Because, I mean, it is just a part of it. It's like when you're saying Sam Bradford, uh, you know, is just as good as Nick Foles when he was healthy. Well, health is a part of talent. And so that that's the thing that, like, it's difficult to remove it. Now, you look at them, I think they're comparable players, to be honest. I mean, I think Melvin Gordon uh, doesn't have quite the top end speed that Gurley does. But I think he's uh, just as hard of a worker off the field. I like his off-field traits, his leadership skills, and as well as... As uh, just his power running between the tackles, and uh, Gurley's a powerful back too. Don't get me wrong. I just thought that those guys were comparable in skill sets, and then the health issue itself was the thing that separated them in my mind. But hey, look, I mean, I'm I'm just a dude in Montana, you know, talking about Rams <laughs> traffic. So like, there's there, there, that part of it. But no, no, I, I, yeah, I totally understand, totally understand it. And and you're right, it's hard with injuries because. Yeah, I mean, we can you can talk about Sam Bradford with the ACL. But I mean, last year, for example, Nick Foles missed the last eight games of the year with a broken collarbone. And even in his real breakout year two years ago in 2013, he missed a game and a half with a concussion. And so there are things that can always happen. And, and we don't know what's obviously going to happen with Melvin Gordon either. For me, I look at it a little bit differently. I do look at Ed Gurley as being kind of a tier above Gordon because I saw him just do a little bit more in college. I saw... Melvin Gordon is being more of kind of a straight line back where Gurley's somebody who not only can break tackles, but can make you miss really in small confined spaces, which is what you're going to be running in, in the NFL. You know, you don't, not going to have a lot of room to operate and you guys have a, a perfect back in that matter. you know, in Marshawn Lynch, a guy who's able to make people miss and have defenders slide off of them in really, really small spaces. Then also Todd Gurley's obviously got the ability when he does get into the secondary to break off a run. And he had a lot of catches at Georgia. I think one thing that was underrated was his hands. And so I think for the Rams, they were looking for a total offensive player. So not only do you get the ability for Gurley to run the ball, but you get the ability to use him in the screen game, um, to be able to use him to catch the ball to the backfield, just give you another dimension for a team that desperately has to score more points. So you mentioned using Gurley kind of in the screen game and, and kind of expanding that way. So now having Gurley in the fold, having Nick Foles behind center, re-signing Kenny Britt, uh, you know, uh-huh. Brian Quick coming back. What do you? How do you see the offensive philosophy shifting for this year? Or is it going to be a little bit more of the same? You're just hoping for more consistency. Yeah, I think the the latter is probably the the way that I would look at it. The the Rams actually did change offensive coordinators this offseason. Brian Schottenheimer went to Georgia, uh, which is where Todd Gurley Todd Gurley came from and then and then the Rams are going to have their their former quarterbacks coach Frank Sinetti take over as offensive coordinator. So I think it's going to be interesting to see 
how much, if at all, he differs from that philosophy. Because I think Brian Schottenheimer became kind of a whipping boy for St. Louis fans and Rams fans that that didn't like the offense or didn't think it was imaginative or, or did enough different things. But I think a lot of, of people that listen to our show would, would understand that our thoughts were more that that's the Jeff Fisher offense. I think that's what he wants to run. And I think Schottenheimer was just a part of that. So it'll be interesting to see if they do open up things a little bit more this year. But what I would expect to see is very similar to what you saw a year ago. Um, I think they're going to run the ball a lot. I think they're going to they're going to lean on Trey Mason and then obviously Todd Gurley when he gets out there. What they did draft an offensive lineman um, in the draft. You can definitely see the philosophy there. They drafted a lot of really big physical offensive linemen that are going to be much better entering the league as run blockers and they're going to be as pass protectors a lot of guys with slow feet real heavy blockers so they're they're going to try to run the ball down people's throats and they're going to use that as their main offensive attack and then you're going to see the play action you're going to see what they what they really want to do is to establish enough of the run game have Gurley truly be that kind of difference maker that requires the defense to bring that eighth guy down in the box bring the safety down, get the defense to react downhill, and then try to go over the top, whether it's Brian Quick or Kenny Britt in the play-action game. I think that's largely what you're going to try to see from the Rams offense if they're consistent and if they're good this year. Gotcha. Well, I I do think that it's going to be an upgrade for the Rams offense, and I feel a lot like Pete Carroll's first year in Seattle when he came in and we went seven and nine and somehow won the division because of (laughs) – but the idea is is that you just you know had who that we fe- beat that year, right? You beat the Rams in Week 17. It was Charlie Whitehurst, Charlie, a quarterback. With, with, with Clint I, I have Jesus. that. Yeah, that is right. <laughs> I have that burned into my memory for the rest of my life. What unfortunately, so do I. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> nuts. But you, you saw you, after coming off of that season, you kind of felt like the Hawks were just really a, a quarterback away. Then you see the next year under T. Jack, and you know, mm-hmm. it just it was it, you felt it coming. You felt all that talent on the defense was assembled, and it was there. And they were playing solid on special teams, and they. They finally had their running back, a Marshawn Lynch, and they if they just got above a serviceable quarterback level, it was going to be a difference maker. And to uh-huh. me, when I look at the Rams, that's exactly – I was actually calling for this even last year. I was uh, hoping that Sam Bradford was going to be healthier. You were not uh, hoping uh-huh. he was going to be healthy. Well, I, I never root for a guy to be injured. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, look, but uh, just the idea that they were just – I just feel like the Rams are just a quarterback away. I feel like they're very much in that situation. And I, I think this trade was brilliant because – as great as some of Sam Bradford's stat was, he, to, to me, he was a rhythm quarterback. It was either the play was on time and he was precise and mm-hmm. accurate. If it broke down at all, it was over. And I, I think yep. Nick, Nick Foles can improvise a little bit more and give you a little more in that area. I don't know. I'm ex- I'm really excited for where this team could go this year for the fans of St. Louis. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point um, by you in terms of Bradford's ability to kind of work on the fly. He was a um, a player that to me looked very kind of mechanical at times on the field. That's something that we talked about a lot in our podcast where he wasn't somebody who really, you know, had the ability to really take over games where, you know, in the fashion of changing plays at the line, doing things that where he would kind of go more on an, in an improv way of I'm going to take this game over. I'm going to get a, a quick read out into the flat or into the slant and make a play against this particular defense. He would truly be a one read type of guy. And then if that play broke down, there wasn't a whole lot to come after it. So I do agree with you. I think it's a good observation on your part 
from what I can tell from Nick Foles, I haven't been able to watch him a ton, but he is a guy who plays really loose. And you could see in that Philadelphia offense a couple years ago when they really got things going, he was out there just slinging the ball around. And he wasn't a guy that seemed to be real confined by the pocket or his first read. He would get out, move around, try to hit receivers on broken plays and did that quite a bit with Deshaun Jackson and others you know, breaking open downfield after the play had been going on for four or five, six seconds. So he may bring another element in that way. Um, I just want to see Nick Foles really for even a few games in this Rams offense, take him out of what he was doing in Philadelphia with Chip Kelly and really see what he's going to be for the Rams. I'm excited to see it, but it still is a bit of an unknown for me. And that line, that offensive line, I should say, to finish up my point here is just that offensive line is so young and enough of a question mark that I think that could hold back what you truly see from Foles this year. Well, at the very least, Foles is remarkably cheaper than Sam yes. Bradford. And I think that's yes. something that's gone overlooked in this trade is how much money that the Rams have saved under the cap by making this move and how much that frees the Rams up going down in the future. That was part of the reason why I think I was surprised to see the trade even happen because I, I didn't think that necessarily Sam Bradford with his salary was even tradable at that point considering mm-hmm. his injury history. Were you surprised at all to see that happen? I was surprised ultimately because I agree with you. That's a that's a good point to bring up. Yeah, Bradford, I think, is scheduled to hit the cap this year around sixteen million, and it was just hard to envision another team in a trade scenario to be able to pick up that salary. First off, you've got to have sixteen million in cap space. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not a lot of teams out there that just have that type of cap space to bring in a player of any kind, whether it's Sam Bradford or anybody else. But it was surprising to see another team willing to take on that sixteen million. But from the Rams' perspective, it it did help a little bit in the short term, but it didn't change much in the long term for them because Bradford and Nick Foles are both entering the last year of their contract. The Rams were underneath the salary cap enough where they could have kept Bradford and they could have made most of the rest of the moves that they, that they did this offseason. You maybe don't end up getting somebody like Nick Fairley, who they signed to a pretty reasonable deal. I think it was one year and around $5 million or so. If you don't have that cap space freed up, so a Fairley ended up being a really big difference maker, that's the kind of move or the luxury that you would have by you know removing Sam Bradford's salary. Uh, but we'll see ultimately um, you know, how much that pays off. But I agree with you overall on just that point. I think I was surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised because Jeff, Jeff Fisher had been so behind Sam Bradford as a starter, but also just surprised to see another team take on that $16 million salary for this year. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Todd Gurley again and uh, the idea that because he is coming in off an injury, and do you see him being a guy that's going to be ready week one, But especially with the, the offensive line challenges that you're talking about, having a young offensive line, him coming off injury? Because the Seahawks do take on the Rams week one, so that's really my biggest concern. <laughs> <laughs> they do. In, in St. Louis, that's going to be right. great. But I, I would not expect Todd Gurley to play in that game. I mean, it's obviously a ways away. I don't think anybody can predict that for sure right now. But from what I can tell from everything that I read and hear from Jeff Fisher, from Les Snead, even immediately after the draft, Jeff Fisher alluding to this is a pick we made for the next three, four, five years. If we need to slow play Todd Gurley coming off the ACL, if we don't feel that he's 100%, he's got to be totally ready to go, we're not as interested in week one as we are interested in the next two, three years with this player. And he... 
he said that in a way that was strong and clear enough to me that it told me that they were going to take their time with him. Um, I would be surprised personally to see him playing in the first quarter or so of the year. So maybe that first four or five games. I think he's somebody that you would look to see maybe more in midseason. How do you guys, as fans of the Rams, feel about Jeff Fisher as the head coach? Um, I go back to lukewarm. I think that's a that's a good word for it. Uh, Fisher has some he has some positives. Um, you definitely want to highlight those things. I mean, when he took over the Rams, I'd be foolish. I mean, most people would be foolish not to recognize that they had one of, if not the worst rosters in the NFL. And not only was it one of the worst rosters, it was one of the oldest rosters. I mean, it was a perfect combination of we have no talent and everybody is 30 years of age or older. So it was a really bad combination to take over a team. He has drastically helped to upgrade the talent base on this team. You guys talked about all those young pieces on defense. The thing that concerns me about Fisher is not his ability to get the Rams to 8-8, because I think he's got enough talent on this roster now with Nick Foles at quarterback. If Nick Foles stays healthy, I think this is an 8-9 win team. My concern with Fisher is, is he the right coach right now? When you look across the rest of the league, is he the right coach to get them beyond that level? Can he get them into the playoffs and winning games in the playoffs where Fisher seems to prefer, you know, to play, you know, 1990s football? He wants to play defense and run the ball and occasionally play action and will try to get a pass deep downfield. But he doesn't emphasize the same things that you see being emphasized with, you know, Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or even some of the things in Seattle where they take on Russell Wilson and they really morph their offense around Russell Wilson as opposed to this is the offense that I've been used to running for the past 10 or 15 years. That's what we're going to do regardless of who the players are. Seattle's done a good job and Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, has done a good job of our offense is going to be based on the personnel that we have and they're going to do some different things to kind of help incorporate Russell Wilson into the game. So that's the thing that concerns me about Fisher. Is he flexible enough? Is he adaptable enough in today's NFL to get you really over the hump to the next level? I was going to ask you a little bit about, uh, as a Rams fan, your perspective on Seattle this year and just the addition of Jimmy Graham. For example, like when you guys brought in Foles over Bradford, I was like, man, that's an upgrade for them. I don't like this. Uh, when, when Jimmy Graham came in, was what was kind of your gut reaction? Was that one of those you're like, uh-oh, or was that was like, that's fine. He can't block any stuff. Good luck. <laughs> well, you know those trades happen on the same day. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it is true. That's yeah. right. So I was trying to process the Jimmy Graham trade when the Sam Bradford news came out, and so my head almost exploded <laughs> um, at, the, at the time. But um, I'm actually, you know, I kind of go both ways on this. I see, I totally understand why the Seahawks made the move for Jimmy Graham. The guy is an elite talent. He's got a very, very specialized skill set that you, I mean, you just can't find guys that look and run and do some of the things that Jimmy Graham does. But losing a center, losing Max Unger, when we talked about the offensive line already not being a strength for Seattle, and losing a first-round pick to take on a high-salary player like Graham, who, as talented as he is, also does kind of float in and out of games at times, and he doesn't block, as you mentioned, and he is somebody who's a obviously much more expensive player than the cost certainty you would have had with a low first-round pick over the next four or five years. So I can see both sides of it, but as a Rams fan personally, it doesn't concern me all that much because the Rams have one of the best tight end covering safeties in the league. TJ McDonald, who's going to be entering his third year this year, has done a 
excellent job on tight ends over the past couple of years, including Jimmy Graham in his rookie year and TJ McDonald's rookie year in St. Louis had a very good game against him when the Rams beat the saints in St. Louis. He's done really well on Vernon Davis and some of the other top tight ends in the league. So from the Rams perspective with the combination of Alec Ogletree at outside linebacker who can really run and move and TJ McDonald, I'm personally not worried that much about Graham in a matchup with the Rams, but I totally understand from the Seahawks' perspective why they wanted to make the move. While we're on defense, let's talk a little We because I think when we talk about the Rams, we always talk about the scary defensive line. But, <laughs> right. But what about just how, how you would rate the, the entire front seven as a whole and then the secondary as well? Yeah, the, the Rams are... The front seven, I think, is solid. Um, this offseason, they went out and got a another piece at outside linebacker. They got a key mayors, um, who actually came up with Rams defensive coordinator Greg Williams in Tennessee for his first three years in the league, then ended up going to New England last year and actually played a, a pretty significant role for New England down the stretch as a pass rusher in a 3-4. But they brought him in to play outside linebacker in the 4-3. They've got James Laurinaitis, I should say, and Alec Ogletree, who are kind of cemented into the other two linebacker spots. So that front seven to me is a really, really good unit. The safeties that the Rams have is also a really good unit. They've got a really good mix with TJ McDonald, who I mentioned before, Rodney McLeod, who has gotten a lot better over the past couple of years playing free safety. He's He's far from an elite player at free safety, but he's good enough with what the Rams have in their pass rush and their front seven. And then they also have a third safety they picked up last year from Tampa Bay and Mark Barron, top 10 pick a few years ago. And Barron just really kind of started to come on in the second half of the year with Greg Williams, where they used him um, more as a nickel or third linebacker, really blitzing specifically as a third linebacker. And that really kind of highlights what Barron does best. He's not a guy that you want covering on the back end at all, which is what Tampa tried to do with him in a cover two. The Rams brought him in. They've got him playing forward. They've got him playing fast. And Barron's a, a big-time talent. He could he could really do well his second year with the Rams. But where the concern comes in for me is the cornerback spot, the one that, that you mentioned there with Tremaine Johnson, um, Janoris Jenkins, who are two guys that were drafted the first year that Fisher and Sneed were in St. Louis, Les Sneed, the general manager. So they're going into their fourth years now. They're both talented guys, but they're both very, very inconsistent. The Rams have a couple of young players at cornerback. Um, last year, they drafted EJ Gaines in the sixth round, who played really, really well um, out of Missouri. They also drafted LaMarcus Joyner in the second round, who didn't play as well. Uh, but obviously, you hope he gets better in his second year. So the cornerback group is the one in the, in the secondary that I would be the most worried about. But if you're the Rams, this is what you bank on. You bank on, we're going to slow the game down with the running game. We're going to try to grind you out on the ground and we're going to get after you with that front seven. So we're not going to give you enough time to abuse these corners because if you get enough time in the pocket, if a guy like Russell Wilson can extend plays, you can beat Tremaine Johnson and you can beat Janoris Jenkins down the field. But what the Rams are going to try to bank on is, is we're so good up front that we're not going to give you time to beat those guys. One other question I wanted to ask you, Mike, just as Someone outside the team. Do you have any players on the Rams where you could you could point to a guy and say that's that's a guy who other uh, opposing fans could kind of root for? And, and I think about you know a guy like Larry Fitzgerald on the Cardinals. Do you have anybody okay. like that on the Rams where you where you really point to and say that this is a guy that you can hold up and and really root for, even if you're not a fan of the team? Well, even if you're not a fan of the team, you should absolutely follow Chris Long on Twitter. <laughs> 
Chris Long is one of the best athletes on Twitter. We we do a segment on our show, um, a Tweet of the Week segment. It's actually been retitled to the final countdown uh, with a good friend of mine, John Weckerly, good friend of ours, John Weckerly. Um, he does a great job with the Tweet of the Week segment, and it's constantly Chris Long and his shenanigans. So if you can follow Chris Long, um, he is hilarious on Twitter. He's obviously a really good player, but he's a really good personality, somebody who's easy to like. And he actually does a lot of good, serious stuff as well, even though he's a, a total goofball on Twitter. But he recently did a, a Sports Center segment, which some people may have saw um, last weekend with William Hayes, another Rams defensive lineman, where they were trying to build awareness for homelessness in St. Louis. And he went out with William Hayes and actually um, posed as uh, two homeless guys over a 24-hour period in St. Louis. They actually wanted to do it for a second night, um, but they got recognized um, in downtown St. Louis, so they weren't able to do it. But that's something that he's done. The defensive line in St. Louis for each sack that they've had over the past couple years has provided money or fundraising money to St. Patrick's Center, which is supporting the homeless in downtown St. Louis. So Chris Long is a really good mix of not only a good player, a funny guy, an entertaining guy to listen to um, either in interviews or on Twitter, but also a guy who's doing good things for St. Louis. So Chris Long is definitely an easy guy to root for. Well, and in fact, Mike, we we recognized uh, Chris Long and, and Haynes uh, last week on our show because we, nice. we do a segment that uh, I I don't know if you remember when Richard Sherman went on uh, on first take with I do with, I do and, yeah. and you know he said I'm better at life than you we we have a segment that who's better at life than Skip Bayless okay and so, which is everybody which right is, it's a low bar it's a low bar admit it but, but we do <laughs> we do recognize this exceptional uh, uh, talent and people in, in that segment you know. It, even though it is a low bar. Uh, but yes, uh, so I, I am glad to hear you say Chris Long because he, he is one of those guys that Seems I... Seems legit. Yeah, and and also, gosh, he's scary good too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for a guy that, you know, came from his background, obviously his dad, you know, being being somebody who's been so entrenched, I mean, he's somebody who could be could be entitled, you know, could not care, um, could not want to interact with people. And not only was my dad a great NFL player, but I was the second overall pick in the draft. And he does not carry himself in that way at all. And everything I've ever seen from him or heard from him, he's a humble, down-to-earth kind of guy. And like I said, just somebody that's really easy to root for. Well, one thing, Mike, that we've kind of held off talking about, and and I know it kind of be a, a sore subject because... Throughout the offseason, it's kind of been talked about the idea of the, the Rams moving from St. Louis to L.A. Sure. And just a few weeks ago, we saw Hollywood Park in L.A. just get exploded to make room for a new stadium in L.A. Is that concerning at all to you to see uh, just the moves that are being made this offseason? Or are you still kind of at that point to where you feel like this team is, is pretty well solidified in St. Louis and that it could be maybe one of those other AFC West teams that moves to L.A.? Well, I think as a Rams fan and, and a St. Louis Rams fan in particular, I think you have to be concerned about it. I mean, it is it is something that consumes the coverage of the team. I mean, it's really hard as a fan, as somebody who you know has really grown up, you know, with the Rams being in St. Louis. It, it's hard to ignore that and completely separate from it. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm somebody who tries to be kind of reasonable about these things and tries to look at it and sort of see kind of both sides. And where the Rams are right now, I think it's foolish for people to say they're going to L.A. or they're staying in St. Louis. I think it's far from an absolute. I think it's been far from an absolute from the beginning. I know that 
you know, that's not necessarily a good answer for sports talk radio or a podcast because people want us to be Skip Bayless and, you know, bang our, our hand on the table and tell you exactly, exactly, tell you exactly what's going to happen. But this is something that I think is a 50, 50 proposition at this point. And that is scary. If you're a Rams fan, um, a St. Louis Rams fan, because I can, I can see this going a couple of different ways. It's hard to speculate on how these moves are going to work, but the city of St. Louis, they have they have certainly put a good effort forward. Um, they are trying to get a new stadium built on the North River Front in downtown St. Louis, which is an area that really needs something good to happen to it. So a stadium there would be really, really ideal. And, and they've made a lot of steps to move forward. They've acquired some of the land there. They've gotten a lot of the things set up that they need to. But what it's going to come down to ultimately is financing. It's going to come down to money and whether the city of St. Louis is going to be able to provide the public funding to be able to get a stadium approved. The good thing for Rams fans is that this is something that I really think is going to be resolved. You know, I think we're going to have a really good indication by the start of the season. You look at September and I think we're going to have a a very clear, definitive view of what it's going to look like by November, December. Because I think these teams are going to file for relocation in Los Angeles, whether it's the Chargers and Raiders together in Carson or the Rams with Stan Kroenke. And I think this is going to get resolved by at the very, very latest, January or February of next year. That's just how I look at it. But as a Rams fan, it, it is. It's very, very hard to separate the two things because I am excited about this upcoming season. I think there's a lot of things to be excited about. But there is that cloud hanging over where I really feel like the financing in St. Louis, it's a 50-50 proposition whether that gets done. And if it doesn't get done and your owner wants to be in L.A., that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, and I would say as a, a Seahawks fan and just a Seattle fan, you know, we we saw the Seahawks almost move to L.A. Yeah, People forget about that. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And then you know, losing the Sonics to Oklahoma City, you know, that sure. still kind of stings uh, for Seattle. So kind of. Yeah, well. So when you hear your owner talking about how motivated he is to move to L.A., and at the same time, you kind of hear some things being said that, well, if the owner decides to move, but the, the city shows good faith in building a stadium, uh, the idea that another team could come to St. Louis to fill that void left by the owner, uh, would that would that even be something that would work in your mind to, to see the, the Rams team leave, but to get another team in place? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be really, really bizarre. And it's interesting that you say, you know, you hear the Rams owner talk because... Stan Kroenke's nickname is Silent Stan. He he doesn't talk yeah. to anybody. Um, so you don't really get to hear him talk at all. And he hasn't really – he's the kind of person who's not going to change his leverage by saying one thing or another. He hasn't said publicly that I want to be in L.A. Okay. His actions certainly say I want to be in L.A., right? I mean everything he's doing from his actions would tell you that. But he hasn't said that, nor has he said he wants to stay in St. Louis. So he's a very, very quiet, almost – I mean the word I would use is absentee owner. He's not a guy that you're going to see at Rams games, Rams practices. He is like the anti-Bob Kraft. You know, you're not going to see him at – any of these games or events, he's not going to be in quotes. He's not going to be doing the Jerry Jones thing and talking about the team or talking about any of the team's moves. So it is really hard to sort of figure out what the end game is here for him. But it would be it would be a very weird scenario. Um, I can't even imagine something like the St. Louis Raiders or um, you know any of those other scenarios. One thing that I think is really, really interesting that we've talked about on our podcast, I don't know if you guys have considered this or talked about it, but 
one of the things that I find really intriguing is the the idea of both the Raiders and the Chargers moving into Carson, which I certainly think is possible. I certainly think that could happen. If it does, you're not going to have two teams in the same division who are housed in the same stadium. So if that ends up happening, I think the Rams, if they do in fact stay in St. Louis in this scenario, in this hypothetical, I think the Rams are going to move to the AFC West. And I think one of those two teams is going to move to the NFC West. So I think one way or another, this thing's going to end up changing the dynamics of how we look at it. But um, I really don't want to consider until I absolutely have to another team other than the Rams playing in St. Louis. No, definitely. No, I, I would hold on to that, that hope that they're, where they're at as well. So, right. Well, Mike, I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. And I know as Seahawks fans, we all have fellow Rams fans that we know, uh, just like any other team. So if, we get a tax break for that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, where, where do they find it? No, that that's uh, that's great. I appreciate you bringing that up. And we have actually had a segment similar to this that we've done called Know Your Enemy, where we've had, you know, tried to reach out and, and, and talk about teams in the in the other divisions or other teams in the division, I should say. So absolutely. Um, if your your listeners, your followers of any kind want to find us, you can probably the best way to do that would be through at Rams Addiction. Just find us on Twitter and follow us. We're always going to post Anytime we have any new content, we do have a website, ramsaddiction.com, or the podcast, which is really kind of the number one thing that we do. So you can find us on Twitter at ramsaddiction or at ramsaddiction.com. And then also, we're obviously going to be in iTunes. We're going to be in Stitcher. So anywhere else that you would want to search for us, subscribe to the podcast. Um, we we definitely are passionate about the Rams. Uh, we we try to get on the mic as much as we can. It, it, it's a challenge sometimes with work and other things that we do, but um, absolutely find us on there. Follow us on Twitter. That's the best way to to find out what new content we have well thanks again for coming on the show and i'll I'll be sure to post uh those things in our show notes as well so people can can find that and and yeah pass it and and, well i i I always like to check in on the opposing teams kind of throughout the season to see what's happening and uh and yeah so i i appreciate that as well and then i also you know i i know uh rams fans and uh i'd turn them on to your podcast for sure 100 percent, yeah without question yeah well, we, we appreciate that. And hopefully let's, uh, you know, let's look forward to, to week one. And, and, you know, maybe we'll have a little bit of a Twitter bet on week one. We can have some fun with that matchup. Yes, absolutely. There you go. Brandon, you're, you're, you're our Twitter warrior. So, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't do the Twitter thing. So, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, absolutely. Well, it was uh, my pleasure. I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out to me. And hopefully uh, for, for your fans, it was informative. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mike. Lynch in the backfield in a pistol formation. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap, drops back. He's going to throw down the middle. He's got a man. The ball is caught. Game over, Touchdown. The game is over. The Seahawks are going back to the Super Bowl in Glendale. What a catch in the end zone. It is curse. 35 yards. A long game for Jermaine. And he makes the game-winning reception in the end zone. They are going nuts. The Seahawkers podcast is the official podcast of the official booster club of the Seattle Seahawks. I want to thank Mike Hanscher for coming on the show, Rams Addiction. Dude's legit. I, I really enjoyed having him on the show, and hopefully we can have him on again in the future to talk uh, yeah. more Rams football, just because knowing your enemy is nice, and especially yeah. with somebody that follows a team much like we follow the Seahawks. 
Yeah, well, I, I like getting the perspective of you know, guys like us who are just fans that like to talk about their team, and uh, you you tend to you get a different perspective certainly than you do from uh, listening to, to guys that are are paid to do it on the radio. You, mm-hmm. you have guys that are passionate about their team, and absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, so thanks again. So we got a couple of reviews. Uh, well, I think we just have one review this week that came in, and uh, got an email to get to. And yeah. That, hey, Richard Sherman softball tournament tickets uh, went on. Sale. I saw that today. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. That's going to be coming up in July. Yeah, July nineteenth. I think something like that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm going to be uh, at the lake having Isabel's birthday party that oh, weekend. Oh, all right. So yeah. no, no Sherman softball road trip. This Not going to make it this year. And I, the only reason I know that I'm doing that this year is uh, we, I just talked about it with the kid. Uh, not but about three four hours ago. Like, hey. We finally scheduled that out. So well, that's that's good. Yeah. Doing family stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, we made our our one off season trip to Seattle for the right, draft. exactly, exactly, and I wouldn't mind getting out there again just to go to a Mariners game, even though they're sucking it up. Yeah, yeah, that's a two and nine homestand here recently. <laughs> awesome, oh, awesome, man. Yeah. Speaking of things that are disappointing, did you see they're remaking Big Trouble in Little China? What were you? Did you were you ever into that movie? Uh, I, I definitely recognize the title. If you gave me like a, it was Kurt Russell. Oh, and that's he was right, like a truck driver. Is Goldie Hawn in that? I no, no. I think you're thinking of, well. No, I don't think so. Not overboard, but like, yeah, I'm right. t- uh, yeah, Big Trouble Little Train. Okay, yeah, I, I, I vaguely remember that. I, I vaguely remember it, too. It, it was one of those movies I, I kind of remember seeing, but people who are fond of 80s movies often reference that movie mm. as as being uh, one that they were, you know, they followed. Kind of like Mad Max in the 80s. Now, I, I wouldn't saw that remake. Um, I have yet to see that. Ah, that's that's a good movie. I need. To, I, I don't know that I've ever watched the original. I do. I know I've seen parts of it because there were definitely scenes. Yeah, from I'd Mad say that. Max yeah, that that reminded me of of the Mel Gibson version. Mm-hmm. And but I I didn't know. And and really, there isn't much of a story to it. It's lots of explosions and chasing, and uh, it's just really fun. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, not. Uh, I I just don't remember the the most of the story behind it. But that, that part of it really doesn't matter that much. Right. Right. And then you got uh, the Jurassic Park remake coming out. Yeah. Yeah, but that that looks cool. That looks pretty sweet. I'm I'm actually a big Chris. Not Pratt so much friend. of a that, that's not so much of a remake as for, as continuing the story. Yeah, I suppose so. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you know, the, an update to that yeah, franchise. Chris Pratt. I, yeah, dude, he's awesome. I know that dude is better at everything. Uh huh. Not uh-huh. just life. Like, see if he if they Seahawks fan married Anna Ferris. <laughs> like he's he funny. Yeah, if you He's woke up, all right for him. if you woke up tomorrow, Chris Pratt, you're having a good day. Yeah, <laughs> like you Guardian just, of the Galaxy. Yeah, you know the Star Lord. Yeah, man. Yeah, he's the uh, winning. Uh-huh. Yeah, he definitely, definitely winning. Made it happen, and all uh, you know, going back and seeing the the, the early days of uh, oh, what's the, the 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 Parks and Recreation? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you, kind of in the vein of Terry Poole, like. We would love to interview Chris Pratt on the show sometime. So if if you want to go ahead and tweet at Chris Pratt. Totally don't do that. And by saying don't do that, I mean totally do that. At Pratt, Pratt, Pratt. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's that's his Twitter. And you knew that off uh, top of your Twitter head. Handle at Pratt Pratt Pratt. That's how that's... can you forget that Twitter handle, Adam? Well, I, that's true. I've never heard it before, but yeah, it's I... like Beetlejuice, except it's Pratt. It's except it's <laughs> right. It's <laughs> exactly how it works. So get on that, people, because the power of uh, the Seahawkers uh, listeners. If you can make it happen for Terry Poole, we you can make it happen for Chris Pratt. Get Absolutely, after it. do it, do it. But yeah, definitely but don't do it. Do it. <laughs> but but do it right. <laughs> yeah all right we got an email from uh across the pond john yeah. davison john says 
Hi, fellas. You seem to be getting few emails lately, so I thought I'd better drop you a line as we can't have people taking over my slot in the show. I've been waiting for the explanation of a gunner, but Adam doesn't seem to have found it. Can't any of your listeners help? Because if you solve this, I have another one. Uh, no, no, John, they're too busy tweeting at Pratt, Pratt, Pratt to try and get him on the show. Right. Things to do. Terry Poole. They're, they're very, very more Just accept things. that it's called a gunner. Like, why, have you wondered why that they, they call it the quarterback? Yeah. Like, he's not quarter of a back. Right. So, like, why, but who cares? He's just called the quarterback. Like, it's just is what it is. Adam's explanation as fact, and we can put Finger it up guns. On a, we can put it up on a wiki page that, you know, pew, pew, pew. That's, yeah. That's how finger it, guns. That's how it all got started. Yeah. With the finger guns. Yeah. First guy to make a big tackle as a, as the quote unquote gunner, he gave him the finger guns. Uh-huh, and that's how you got known as pew, a gunner. Pew, pew. That's that is, I believe, uh, it's a true as, fact. That's as much as you're going to get of, of. It's a true fact. Just don't look it up in a book because mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. might not be there. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, it's not, or else he would have found it by now. Yeah. Uh, regarding Kerry Williams, I don't know enough about him as uh, we don't see much of the Eagles over here. Mm-hmm. As for Byron Maxwell, and uh, if he is better, well, time will tell. Let's see how good he is in Philly. But all the best anyway. Conversely, let's hope being a top-notch secondary rubs off on Williams. As I feel with the salary cap, you can't have superstars in every position. Uh, I can comment on these now because I am using the internet properly for years. I may do with NFL.com and Seahawks.com. The official Seahawks site seems to have taken age to to get the news on. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little bit slower. It's on the slow end. You're waiting for the official word, and uh, that always requires clearance. Um, from John Clayton to put it out there first. <laughs> yeah. John Clayton's always going to beat uh, beat those guys to it. So yep. uh, now, uh, thanks to this soft season, I've added Seahawks draft blog, Hawk blogger, and mm-hmm. now field goals. So as someone far away who doesn't know these, am, uh, am I missing any other important sites? To Dave Craig my... Strikebeard. Oh, yes, absolutely. Dave Craig Strikebeard. Yeah, Ramon Appeal. See, you know, Seahawks.net is a message board. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's I know that's a big time message board where a lot of people get their news. So gotcha. yeah, Seahawks.net. Yeah. So but he talked a little about Kerry Williams. We did earlier in the pod. Like uh I don't know that Byron Maxwell got paid too much. It's more than I'd pay him. Like he got what he was worth on the market, so keep getting them checks. Yeah. Like, you know, no I don't hate him for it, that's for sure. But uh yeah, I think he got overpaid, probably. You know? Well, and when there's very few people at that position on the open market. Yeah, it helps your deal. It helps your deal. Yeah. So uh, there you go, John. Make sure you te- check out Dave Craig Strikebeard, Seahawks.net. Uh, he says, I also get the Pete Carroll Show and the poach, uh, Coaches Podcast mm-hmm. and your good selves, of course. I I may be better at life than Skip Bayless now. Go Hawks. Without question, you are, John. Easily. Yeah, don't even question it. Yeah. It's it's automatic. Yeah. You woke up as a, as a good human being today. Yeah. Like, you know, with just like a heart that's generally good and not bad. So therefore, you are... Better, Better at life than Scavalis, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And we did have a review that came in, Adam. Uh, from, really? From, yes, from north of the border. From the Norsky? Yeah. yeah. Uh, from, uh, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Euphorbia 73. It's oh, kind of okay. like Euphoria, except there's a B in it. Gotcha. Very confusing. Yeah. Essential for 12s for those who cannot get enough. So. That review is not confusing at all. No, not at all. Short and succinct. I I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like any good Canadian up there, you know, they had other cool things to be doing. They they have maple syrup to consume. Yeah. And uh, flannel to uh, purchase Mm -hmm. at the local store. Tukes to be wearing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, curling to be practicing. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, thank you, thank you for the review. Uh, we do appreciate that. Those are the little things that do make our little days. So yes, and uh, obviously we give Canada a hard time, but that's just because. But because I love Canada, I love Canada. If I could, if I could move to Canada tomorrow and become a Canadian citizen, it's not that far. I, I, I would highly, highly consider it. Uh-huh. I would highly. They, they got, they got a lot of things figured out up there. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm a fan. Hey, hey, hey look, I, I also said the other day to Jared, it's I was my like, first concert in Canada. I was like, you know, Montana should just secede from the U.S. and uh, Canada should just, uh, you know, enjoy a very awkward border and join up with Canada. And uh, and Jared's like, oh, so like become part of Canada? I was like, no, 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 just have Canada become more Montana. Oh, so like it'd be like Montana North because everybody wants to be Montana. I mean, come on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys would fit in. I think tourism. I think we all get along. Like, yeah. So there is a certain aura of of being from Montana, isn't there? Oh, it's the bomb. It's one of my favorite things. You can go to the big city and be like, oh yeah, I'm from Montana. It's it's hilarious. Jared, while we're traveling, you know, especially down south here this last time, like he would look for the very first opportunity to say, like, oh yeah, no, I'm from Montana. Like it was one of the first things that he would try to do, just because he he loved to be able to kind of say that. Because look, I mean, just the autofill on Google says it all. Montana is for badasses. (laughs) I didn't make it up. Well, Hunt for an October, uh, the Mm -hmm. the movie Alec Baldwin, you know, Sean Connery in that movie. That was his dream was to. No, no, no. That was the first mate's dream. It was uh, Sam. uh, Yeah, yeah, Sam. um, Whatever his last name is, uh that was in Jurassic Park. Yeah, the original one. There you go. Same dude. It all comes together. Sure does. It was his dream to go to Montana. Yep. No, but he died. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't quite make it. Well, that's what he gets for being Russian. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. He and Tim Curry. Did Tim Curry make it in that one? I can't remember. Uh, hard telling. He was the doctor, though. Yeah, that's true. I do remember that. No, no, no. I, I don't think he made it either. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just Sean Connery. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, good movies. Oh, yeah. What other movies do we want to talk about before we uh, move on? I, 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 I don't have one are off we, the top of my we, head. Have we spent our movie knowledge for today? Yeah, I think so. What do you say we get into some do better? Okay. Do better for sure. Uh, I'm going to start off, Adam, because I'm passionate off. about this one. Okay. I, there, there's some uh, scientists out there, specifically in the field of robotics, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. have me a little bit concerned. Well, and, yeah. I mean, you've seen the Terminator, correct? Well, I yes. Well, that's a little that's a little ways off. Is but it? I, I, well, that's a good question, is it? <laughs> because I feel like, you know, when we were... When Skynet we, and Internet don't see all that different, do they? Well, when we started off with the Roomba, you know, like those little cute robots that vacuum your floor. Okay, I have to... Just a quick... Uh, we get no money from Roomba, <laughs> but I had a Roomba. It was a wedding Are present. Are you sure we don't get money from Roomba? We don't, but we ought to because <laughs> I'm about to, That thing was awesome. <laughs> like, I remember vacuuming, like, the room and then turning on the Roomba and letting it go around once, and yeah. it picked up way more crap than our regular vacuum did, and I didn't have to do a thing. Yeah. We named ours Rosario after the maid on uh, Will and Grace, because uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it was. So Rosario would go around, and especially if you have pets in, like, hardwood floors, man, like, dang, you can't beat a, a Roomba. It was the, it was well, see, the that, bomb. See, that's what I'm talking about. Those are the type of robots that we need in our life, Adam. But when I see some of the things that are happening, for example... Mm-hmm. You have robot cheetahs that are now able to jump over objects. Robot like, cheetahs? Like you can put something in the way of this robot cheetah, and it's a robot that just runs really fast. Like what, a wait, but, but, but why? How did you think to yourself? Not we have cheetahs, but what we need is a robot cheetah. And and, and we have to it, we have to make it so if we put an obstruction in front of it, it's able to leap it. Well, yeah, I, that that seems like the next logical step. Run fast first, jump second. I, I want my robots to be... Tear flesh off victim third. 
Like, right? Yes. Well, apparently that's those are the next steps. I, okay. I, I hope we don't get there, but it concerns me that we're getting there because there's another set of robotic scientists that that have come up with a way that if you break, there's a robot that if you break its legs, it figures out how to chase you without the to get around its own broken legs to be able to continue to chase you. Wow. So it, it's so a like, learning it's a learning robot. Okay, so it's like uh it's immune to the mafia then. Is basically what you're saying. Like if it defaulted on a bet in like, you know, some big neck dude broke its legs. Yeah, it can still come didn't matter. Him. He's still coming it's back. It's going to figure it out how to get you. So he's like Mel Gibson and Payback kind of. Yeah, yeah. Give me back my son. <laughs> right. Yeah, except give me back my legs. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. No, and, I, yeah. And so I'm I'm seeing both these stories. These are two separate stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you combine these two, okay. a robot cheetah who that's really really fast and can jump over objects and a learning uh leg breaking and if it if it breaks its leg chasing after you Mm -hmm. and it can learn how to continue to chase you while jumping it's we're talking about a dangerous combination skynet is not far off. that's what i was just gonna say we're not that far so these robotics uh engineers they've got you a little freaked they need to do better they need to do better you're right you know they they also i've watched one of these ted talks on things where they're you know talking about little weird things that they've done like implant microchips into the brain of like moths like with little antennas and they oh, can no. control the moths and like fly them around but they haven't quite figured out how to land them so they just hover like <laughs> above the table and turn them off and they just go gunk uh-huh. and hit the and hit the deck and like you know gl- making glow in the dark kittens uh all sorts of weird genetic uh oh, modifications man. like that um let's stick with the Roomba scientists yeah yeah i think you've gone far enough i think you have just get, get my floors clean yeah that's all i really want yeah I, I did see one that... Uh, they, I wanted to do it at cheetah speed, though. One of the things that they've had a really difficult time teaching a robot to do is how to fold laundry. Apparently, mm. that's really difficult. Yeah, well, uh, every woman has had a difficult time teaching me how to fold laundry, so I understand. <laughs> I understand. Like, uh, it, yeah. It's tough to pick up, Adam. It, it, you'll get there one of these Well, days. you got to have the want to. I've realized <laughs> that. <laughs> Which, that could be the biggest problem. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, I, I don't understand why a pile isn't just as manageable as like things that are that are folded, but like I can't seem to long grass and piles of laundry. Like uh, you're kryptonite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. My lawn is currently waist high too, so I'm very proud of that. No, it's it's uh, very. I thought maybe you were growing a wheat field. Uh-huh. But, uh, it, isn't yard. it pretty? Yeah, you yeah. can bale some hay out there. <laughs> that's, that's exactly my point. <laughs> get yeah. you a goat. Well, fortunately, uh, I'll probably knock it down next week, and that'll be the last time I ever have to deal with it, because I'm moving to a new house. Yeah. And this may be the last podcast actually recorded in this kitchen. Oh, well then. The next you... one will be in the extra room that's going to be turned into the podcast studio. We'll have a fancy podcast studio. Well, it's not going to be fancy is, at first. It's not going to be the same for listeners. It's going to be like we sold out. And we have like some fancy new room to record in. It's not that much fancy. In fact, it'll be slightly smaller than my living room so kitchen maybe combined. We'll add personality. To That's the what show. I'm saying. Yeah, okay. and actually, we're going to change tables too that we're recording at. There's a lot of things. I we've, we've got to talk some logistics. I don't know if I like change, Adam. I I understand your resistance to the change. I know that's uh, not something that uh, that you're real comfortable with. I think it's fitting with. that we've, we're talking about this in the Do Better segment. <laughs> I think it's fitting we're talking about it in the off-season when there's nothing else to talk about, because my Do Better is about as irrelevant as that topic. <laughs> so my Do Better is... Is it better uh, than, than robots that chase after you? I, I don't know about that. Uh, my Do Better is for a gentleman... Um, 
up in Detroit, and basically there are folks uh, when they tore down the Silver Dome that were selling memorabilia from the Silver Dome. You know, you could buy you know chairs or um, you like know. an old stadium seat from the Kingdom. Oh, I, right, I the the Hawk One tailgate uh, along the you know Hawk Alley. Mm-hmm. They have a couple seats in there from the old Kingdom. I always right. thought that was kind of cool, and that is cool. Like that, I'm with you on. Well, apparently those weren't their only things that were up for sale. One of the things that were up for sale were some of the urinals. Uh, from the Silver Dome as well. Now, why you would want to build or buy something, uh, urinal from a locker room that a zillion players have taken a leak in, I, I is beyond me. But it, it, trough or or individual stall. These are, this is an individual, but not okay. like the the high, you know, like the more modern ones now where they're about waist level. The ones that go all the way down all to your the feet way to the floor, right? So you can get extra splash up onto your calves. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I've never okay. understood that design either. Like, no. who thought that? Like, did they just want a larger like water fountain effect while you're taking a leak? <laughs> like, I never understood the, the logistics of that. I mean, I'm not a physics major, but you know, or you know, yeah. a scientist, but whatever. So, anyways, they're selling these. I think if look if you're a a place to concentrate in science. It's not robotics. It's urinal design because yeah. nobody's quite figured that out how to how to make the know, most perfect, ideal urinal. Perfect the urinal. Yeah, I, there's I, work to be done. There's there. nothing that needed to be figured out. You just go outside and buy a tree, and trust me, it's the best ever. Yeah, well, that could be difficult when it comes peeing to outside stadium, or uh, peeing off a deck is also like one of the best. Yeah, that's fun. Underrated moment. That is that sure. is like, out of the. There's little things in life being a dude that but are just in, awesome. Inside a stadium, not recommended. Not new. No. Nope. No, you should pee in one of these urinals. And apparently, uh, Andrew Siciliano from NFL Network had tweeted out. He's like, "Hey, uh, you know, up for auction? Anyone want a stadium seat or a urinal?" And uh, all-time great Barry Sanders tweeted back. Uh, FYI, I am not signing urinals. Well, apparently, uh, one fan uh, did not get the memo from Barry, and uh, all I know him is his eBay user MGK086, and basically he uh bought one of these urinals, put it on a a dolly, and uh, took it to an event where Barry signed Barry was signing memorabilia. And so this is what he said, quote, after a long wait, I reached the table with Barry and I uncovered the urinal telling him it was from his old locker room. He responded, are you real? I said, yes. Will you sign it? Barry said, "Nah, I refuse. And after a short pause, he laughed and said, no problem. Where should I sign? And hopefully he told him to sign like up near the handle. I don't like, think you'd have the... to tell somebody that. Yeah, I'm hoping that's like where they went. But um, and uh, he says, while signing and taking pictures, a man with Barry, I assume his agent, laughed and said, hey, Barry, last time you saw that thing, you were taking a piss in it. <laughs> Barry was extremely nice about it. And it was a great experience. What are you doing, dude? Like what? put it on eBay? We bought it off eBay. Oh, okay. I, I, from what I understand, and like, I, well, that's a happened. treasured memento now. Why I don't understand why you would ever buy it's it's a weird thing. I think it's just dumb and odd, and like, so just do better. <laughs> You're just upset because you didn't think of it. No, no, no. Every man wants a urinal in his house. Yes, but I don't need a vintage one from the Silver no, Dome signed you, by Barry Sanders. To, if you had your choice, I I think you'd come around on that. I would was. take a Barry Sanders signed urinal in my home. Well. What if it were a Sean Alexander signed uh, or John L. Williams or, you know, the real Kurt Warner? Still not worth it. Still not worth it. Still not worth it. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Well. Anyway, that's my do better. On a better at life. I have a better at life this week. And, uh, you know, we we talk about a lot of athletes on the show, Adam, and and often in the... uh, we 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 tend to recognize you know particular mm-hmm. top performing athletes right you know whether it's on the field or off the field yeah in in our better at life segment and you know 
there's one thing that happened this last week that, uh, well, just as there, there have been Seahawks fans who waited 38 years before seeing the Seahawks you know, win the ultimate prize, mm-hmm. win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Win the championship. You know, they they yeah. won a championship. Now, now there's horse ra- racing fans who waited 37 years to see a triple crown winner. I'm a little bummed that I actually missed this. Yeah. Well, you, you were around at least. It, it happened in your lifetime. That's Whereas true. Whereas the, the first, the la- or the, the, the next most recent triple crown winner did not happen in your lifetime. That is a good point. It so, was just before. Exactly. Yeah. So here it is. It happened. Yeah, it did. American Pharaoh. That's just cool. On. I mean, that that is history. It, it's cool because it is historical, and it's also. Are you are you one of those people that consider the horse and horse racing an athlete? I I think they're athletic, but I think, I, I, don't... I think they're an animal. <laughs> they're an athletic animal. That doesn't make them an athlete. No, I think the term athlete to me ensues human being. Okay, like I think that's fair. Yeah. Like, for example, like, there's those agility dogs, right? Like, Border Collies or something like that. Yeah. Well, amazing. Uh-huh. And certainly more athletic than your average lab. I don't, I don't think I I like... don't think that they're an athlete. I don't think this is a good time to diminish American Pharaoh's performance, though. No, no, I don't, I don't say that it's diminishing it. I just, I just find that weird for, that some people call horses athletes. Like, his accomplishment there as a racehorse, I mean, that's, it's historic. Yeah. Uh, very cool to, to finally have that uh, come to fruition, so. And, and a cool name. I like Very that cool name, name, American Pharaoh. Yeah, but there you go. And and I've just wanted to say, Adam, uh, that a horse better at life than Skip Bayless. <laughs> True. True. Yeah, uh, an ungulate uh, better at life than Skip Bayless. Especially after Skip Bayless came out this uh, yesterday and gave LeBron James a C-plus for his Game 2 performance. Now, we're recording this during Game 3, so I don't know what is going on in that game uh, as we, it as we do it. may be over by now. Yeah, it may be over, but uh, if, you, if you watch LeBron James... In uh, that C game plus, two, he was the one, he was the guy that just willed the team to win in game two. It was it was it was the LeBrons and the Jamets. Like there was there was nothing else around him. I mean Kyrie down, and uh, you got guys like you know Della Vadova being a you know a, a big time player in the game. That, that was he has a triple double, a monster triple double, and you give him a C plus. That's 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 a very Skip Bayless thing. You should know that. By he now. hates LeBron James, though. Like, but well, watching LeBron's passion after that win was pretty amazing. I, I, that's the most I've never seen that out of him. Um, that kind of emotion come flowing out. Like, Cavs are up two to one. Are you serious? Yeah, they won. They won Game Three. What was the score? Ninety six, ninety one. Wow. There you go. Man, if LeBron James Spoiler wins... Spoiler alert for those people that uh, DVR'd the game and uh, are listening to this uh, on Wednesday. Oh, whatever. <laughs> I'm glad we put the spoiler alert after you revealed it. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but, wow, man. If, if LeBron wins this this championship, like that's got to be one of the all-time great championship performances of all time. Like If he just single-handedly wills that Cavs team that has nobody left... You know, J.R. Smith is your second leading scorer. Bay Area has enough championships as it is. They they win. Dude, I I, I, I yeah, Bay Area. Kind of look, if you want to take San Fran and talk about their champions, that's fine. But the people of Oakland are a very different breed. Like I don't I don't lump them together. Like you can't Bay Area them together to me. Well, they're they're in. The I Bay think Area. I think Oakland like is full of a lot of real folks, and I think San Francisco is full of a lot have of a championship before Cleveland does. What Oakland? Yeah. Well, look, that's not going to happen because God hates Cleveland. Clearly, has <laughs> for a while. I, I think the Raiders and the A's have both had a championship before. Since, yeah, yeah because yeah, they have. Yeah, when was the last championship by Cleveland? 
Does it matter? I, I just because you can't think of it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. That that's how I, that's how I judge if anything matters, Brandon. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to my uh, better at life. It'll be nice, short, and sweet here. It's is for one Marshawn Lynch. He is indeed going to be. Uh, a character in the upcoming Call of Duty. Now, this is a game that I do not play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I leveled off at... Uh, uh, no. <laughs> GoldenEye on the N64. Okay. Like That's as far as I went. <laughs> that's as far as I Fair went. Uh, but, you know, also Mario Kart on the N64. But uh, I, I have tried playing the Call of Duty uh, a couple times. I can't see the guys. Like, I, I, I can't pick the enemies out. Like, I just... I'm bad at it. And okay. they, you know, anytime that you have to, don't like, just just don't make excuses, Adam. Just yeah, go with the. I said I'm bad at it. Bad at it. Yeah, like I'm bad at. It. I can't see the guys. I'm terrible. Like it's just it's just not my gig. But Marshawn Lynch is going to be a villain in the upcoming Call of Duty, which is kind of fun. Now, one weird thing is is that he's a guy that's always like wants to be out of the spotlight. But now I was on the cover of ESPN magazine for doing this. It's like, you know, I don't want to be in the spotlight, but I'm going to be on the cover of the body issue. He wants to do it his way. Come on, Adam. All right. But anyways, but I, I, I do like it. It's going to be fun. He talked about how he wanted it to the character to talk like him and, and have a special kind of walk, which I thought was funny, you know, kind of that beast walk. And then the best part was, is there were some still pictures from uh, the, the shoot. And there was one of them and he's jumping back in one of the little suits that they have uh, you wear with the sensors on it so they sure, can sure. predict your movements and all that and record it. And he's jumping up in the air, feet towards you, like onto his back. And he's doing the, the pose. The pose. The, the, the hold the my catfish. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just, and it, so it, it, it's hilarious. And uh, for making me chuckle today, Marshawn, on a day where there wasn't a lot going on in football, you are better at life than Skip Bayless. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And I, who doesn't want to be in a video game? Uh, I, I, I would take that as a life goal. As a life goal? Well, you know, on the bucket list. You know, like one of the things that would be kind of cool. Okay. You know, like uh, be the, the guy that gets hit with a pool cue and some B like movie. Like Grand Theft Auto or something? No, or I'm just talking about like to be in like a Steven Seagal movie where you're the guy that gets, you know, stabbed. That would actually be pretty funny. And then you yeah. know, to be the guy, yeah, that uh, just a random character in a game would be kind of neat too. Just because it'd be, yeah, okay. All there right, I feel you. You're yeah. in the credits. They have credits on video games? Oh, heck yeah. Huh. You got to finish it. That's the problem. Oh, well, there are credits at the end of Tech Mobile. See? So what are we going to do on our next show? What we're going to do for the next show is people are going to have to call in. Yeah. You're going to have to start leaving some, some messages, you know, like get your, get your rant in. Uh, give us some topics that you guys feel is, or, you know, you really want to talk about. Have a good take on stuff if you call in. Don't just ask us questions. Tell us what you think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell us why I'm wrong. Which no, that's always that's easy, you know. Yeah, I mean that's low hanging fruit, <laughs> right? So do that. I would tell you what the number is, but I can't remember it. Two five three two three five nine zero four one. Right, uh, but uh, other than that, I don't I don't know what we're gonna do for the next show. I don't either. Hopefully, yeah. Russell Wilson signs. Hopefully, like Tyler Lockett's doing crazy I'm stuff be in, in Seattle camp. next week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we might take a week off. You heard it here first. <laughs> it might happen. It might happen. Or we'll record before I, I hit the road. Yeah. Who knows? You think enough is going to happen between now and nope. Sunday? Nope. No? Nope. So. Kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. All right. Well, we better wrap this one up because <laughs> it's, been, it's, been, it's been real. I could go all night. I, that's not what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard wrong. Have I? <laughs> Are we talking about sleep? Um, no. 
<laughs> but I think it does involve I a bedroom. Can go all night. Yeah, sleeping. Sleeping. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, well done by you. But uh, yeah, so we'll see. I guess next week. Maybe it might be a week off. Uh, maybe you'll get more of this wonderful banter. Hey, and we'll go from there. We don't. We could do a show and not even talk Seahawks just at all. That's true. That's true. Maybe maybe we should do that while getting drunk. <clears throat> so, anyways. <laughs> With that, <laughs> there's only one thing left to say. Let's get drunk. And go hot. <laughs> <laughs>